What are some of the common habits you've seen across successful students and yeah. all their projects? <laughs> Welcome, welcome. This is part two of the conversation with Chris Morley. If you haven't seen the first episode, I highly recommend you go back and watch that before uh, getting through this one. Otherwise, let's get straight into it. So I want to move on to the to your work with the uni. Yeah, let's do it. So what does your work with the uni actually involve? Okay, um, my proper contract or employment um, with the university has actually changed a little bit over the years. I was I was already working part-time for a drafting company as I graduated. So when I finished right. my final year at UniSA, probably my first contract with the university was the following year. Like I, I finished in 2008 and by March 2009, I had my first tutoring gig. Wow. Um, and then, and that came about by really asking for the job, I guess. Enough of the tutors kind of knew who I was and I, I just, was there one day picking up work i think and i said to one of the, the lecturers um you know you're not looking for tutors are you and he just said actually i've just finished doing interviews but you know what? i'm not making a decision till monday so you know huh. come in for an interview um and thankfully for me I, I took a seat at the table um and so i've been doing sessional tutoring so just kind of an hourly tutoring role um in both the architecture course and the interior architecture course for God, what is it, eight eight and a half years or something wow um and about that year and a half ago, an opportunity came up for me to actually go on a, a 0.5 contract, so two and a half days. So I'm actually employed on a fractional contract at the moment. So stepping into that role pushed me from being a tutor um, into the lecturing and the, the course coordinator role. So certainly a bit more significant. I love being in the role that I'm currently in, which is Studio One. Uh, we have 230 students, which for some universities out there might sound very small, um, but for Adelaide, you know, 230 students, let's just say 50, 50, you know, 50 architecture student, 50% architecture students and 50% interior. That's a big cohort to manage. So we've got two course coordinators and eight tutors um, that do that. And there's a lot of fresh, fragile, naive minds um, which some are malleable and some aren't um, and and it just comes with time, but it's a, a great job to have. So I do anything from preparing briefs, writing content, course material. I don't deliver a lot of lectures myself. The other co-course coordinator, um, she loves that role, whereas I, I really, I love to be on the ground in the studio. So I'm the guy that tries to understand 230 projects um, at a time, which is, you know, <laughs> Somewhat, somewhat challenging, but yeah. rewarding at the same at the same time. So that's probably enough. I think about the role, at least describing it. It's challenging mm. but rewarding, all in the same. I think that's so cool. Just how you started off. First of all, you got it. I've got this job straight after graduating, which I think is pretty cool. Mm. But the way it happened is just because you've asked about it, and I think that's just oh, yeah. such a big thing that you just if you want something, just go for it. Just ask. Two feet, as you said. Mm. those stepping little toes in the water or whatever it is yeah yeah yeah. that's it that's it but yeah i think that's so cool just the journey that you've been on mm. so what are some of the common habits you've seen across successful students and yeah. all their projects i'm uh oh what's the right answer for this um i think let's call them successful and unsuccessful students. It's easier to talk about it that way. Um, yeah. I think there's different ways to, to kind of skin that interpretation, but <laughs> successful students and the habits that they have, participation, ask, mm. ask a question when you don't know the answer, um, ask a question when you're 
confused. You know, briefs are challenging. Understanding an entire brief is challenging. You know, you might read a brief three times before you really actually make sense of what's being asked of you. So I think, yeah, engagement is certainly one of those things. There's certainly with the courses I teach, there's, there was in the past, but there's not now a requirement to actually physically attend. This is not dependent on COVID. This is, you know, outside of COVID. Um, There's no grade for attendance, right? So everything is accessible and students can work at their own pace, obviously with submission deadlines. But if you're not actively at the uni in front of the tutors and can get the responses instantaneously. Um, It prolongs your your education and your thinking process. And nine times out of 10, that creates the unsuccessful student Mm. um, because you've got poor time management skills or you're really just not reading some of the basic rules. Um, You know, producer drawing at one to 100 scale on an A3 piece of paper um, and it rocks up at one to 200 on an A4. Um, Uh, I've seen that a few times. (laughs) Right. It's, it's, it might sound simple, um, but it's really about just being diligent. You know, Uh, I I can't say much more to it than that, I think. And success comes at different year levels, right? Mm. You you might have someone that has worked so hard through high school, right? They, they, they may have a learning difficulty in their, in their background um, or they may just not engage with the learning process that well, push so hard through their entire university career to kind of just, let's say, just get credits, which is the middle, you know, middle grade. Um, and that's still good quality work, right? But their success isn't until they actually enter the industry and they have an ability to apply all of those things and create real projects. Um, so I don't think, yeah, there's... There's successful students and unsuccessful students, but it, it's those that are unsuccessful are probably the ones that don't really fit the industry or the industry doesn't fit them. They, mm. they need to be aligned to design, but maybe in communications or illustration or arts or something else um, off to the side, you know, not necessarily an architect. Yeah. It's definitely a lot yeah. of criteria to have um, to be an architect. Um, yeah. It's not just... <laughs> be artistic or something like this but no you mentioned that this is a bit off topic so i just mm, i just want to quickly right. chuck it out there um you mentioned that participation or being at the mm. campus and i guess with lectures online and um mm. you can watch a lot of stuff online nowadays do you think there's still a benefit to actually being in person at your lectures yeah 100 percent. um that's both about the student experience and my my personal experience right? i i think the staff themselves, the educators, we do our best work in front of the students, with the students. There's something really innate about a student trying to draw something and and maybe not articulating it or communicating it that well. And you just pick up the pen next to you and you draw it on that same piece of paper, right? Mm. That's a very hard thing to do over Zoom or whatever your, your medium or your platform is. It's not to say you can't do it, but it takes those students that are already engaged and committed and diligent to be then as successful i think in this current setup so i can't wait until we go back to uni to be honest mm. um same yeah yeah yeah. can't wait <laughs> um so interacting with all these young people and students it would surely rub off on your own practice and the work you do just putting yourself in these situations learning what new students are doing all this kind of stuff and mm. i guess because they're bringing new softwares and technology and always up to date with what's going on um mm. How have you found working inside the university beneficial to your own work? Yeah, um, really good question. I think there's, particularly for me, I, most of my work is in the early years in the in kind of the university education. So again, I touched on it. There's kind of this naive approach, a little bit of humility, um, 
with their thinking as well and kind of humbleness that comes with that. So there's not really the confines maybe of some of the restrictions that the industry um, puts on a project or some creative thinking, whether or not it's budget or brief or constructability and things like that. So mm. when you have that freedom of thinking for me, yeah, it, it absolutely rubs off. It reminds me to not be too blinkered um, to, to make sure you're always saying, you know, what if to your own concepts and I know we're going to get to it, but you know, being as a, a sole practitioner, being inside your own head sometimes is quite a, it, it kind of, it doesn't expose your work properly. I guess you, you think it's a good idea and therefore it is a good idea because there's no one cross checking it. So certainly by being able to go into the university environment, hear these free fun flowing concepts, it then gets you to double check your own work and give you a new perspective. So I've certainly borrowed, um, some, some conversations and, and thoughts that have been had um, and they've worked out pretty well in some real projects. So credit to the wow. students um, that have That's contributed cool, to, on that part. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool to hear. Just the, the technology side of things. Look, it, we move in a pretty fast, fast paced world. I'm probably at a happy medium with the, the level of software that I use and the complexity and the abilities that it gives me. So I work inside Revit. I use Enscape because it's quick rendering engine through that. I rarely stay in SketchUp now and that's only because with my own practice, there's value in me putting things into Revit quite quickly mm. in terms of documentation for later stages. So I'm pretty comfortable. Um, Rhino is one of those things that I would love to explore. I had a bit of fascination with some parametric modeling in my early years at uni, but really kind of just profession and, and the drive for residential architecture didn't really take me into that space. I think that's more commercially tuned. So, mm. you know, I'm comfortable with where I am. I'm not afraid to pick up a new piece of software and give it a go, but yeah, use the tools that work for you, I guess. Mm. And don't forget to draw. Go, Don't forget yeah. to draw. <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so many students nowadays. I just see like one of my mates at uni was just um, uh, we saw we got a, handed a brief and just straight away he's on um Revit just starting to like mm. model it. I'm just like you don't even know what the like what the clients wanting or what the teachers mm. want yet, and he's just mm. like, yeah, but it's just an easy way to conceptualize stuff. I'm like, yeah, but pencil and yeah, yeah. I know pencil. <laughs> yeah, no, and don't get me wrong, I do. I definitely start pen to paper. Um, mm. and practice wise you need to be able to draw regardless of your ability, right? In your, in your, let's say preciseness or accuracy in your drawing, you need to be able to do that in front of a client. Mm. Have to be able to communicate really quickly and drawing on site is the best way to do it. You can't carry around a computer with you all day. I know we're getting close to that um, <laughs> in, in terms of you know, tablets and stuff, but yeah, I think there's a richness in the, the drawing. Mm. So I don't want to lose that. Yeah, definitely not. Um, so yeah, moving on, there's a lot of students I speak to that get upset when they receive a lower grade than they expected. Um, so what advice would you have for these students to ensure they keep moving and not let this discourage them? Yeah. Um, I was going to say lots of different answers there. Um, (laughs) most of the time, and and it is, it's, it's unfortunate. Most of the time, let's say a bad grade or a lower grade than what they're expecting. They normally get those because they haven't done something that was fundamental to the brief. All right. Or, or kind of the submission requirements and some universities will do this and some don't, but you know, naming your files and submitting them correctly. You know, if you're asked for a PDF of a certain page size, submit it that way rather than giving a, a, a JPEG photo that you took from your camera on yeah. your phone, you know, like, <laughs> 
do those things that are kind of the easy ticks in the boxes um, and don't leave those to the last minute. Just make sure they're accounted for. That goes a long way. The other thing then is, is probably about the brief. You know, it, it really just means that through that process in design thinking and development in your sketching and everything else that you haven't either started to address the brief, you haven't understood the brief and you haven't then developed or workshopped enough and asked enough questions to get the right feedback to then make sure your outcomes are kind of in keeping. And and most of it, the bad grades, they're because people haven't listened. It's not because there's not a richness to the work or, or the concept or the thinking. Sometimes it really is just haven't listened. Mm. Um, and, and design itself is subjective, you know? So I think credit to, uh, you know, at least UniSA, because I know it inside out, is that in the marking criteria with a lot of the stuff that we do, the design components, like the explicit design components, they're kept out of the marking mm. criteria because they are subjective, right? But we will put things in there that say, develop a, a 10, 10 square meter space or a 30 square meter space. And if you give me a 60 and 150, well, you haven't followed it, right? So then I can get critical and, and be subjective on the design outcome. So probably don't leave the window open to be criticized too hard is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. yeah. So many good points there. Um, I just want to quickly touch on the first one, which was listening, because I, I just did a video about <laughs> this and um, I, I just thought that was so interesting because it's like so many students are just trying to if I see it in like a critique or something and I used to do this as well um mm. I would try and defend my design mm. or my decisions for doing something one way when really the critiques are just trying to give me some feedback to move forward with and I yeah. think a lot of students get stuck just thinking that it's an attack on them and they're trying to defend it but yeah to actually just listen to it and just move forward with the advice absolutely mm. absolutely I I think that is yeah, critical to your success as a student. Absolutely. Anyone who's there teaching you, one, hopefully they're there because they love doing what they do and it is about passing on the knowledge. So sometimes, you know, a, a tutor or a lecturer will lead you in a direction with some suggestions and in which case it's up to you to kind of listen, take it on board and make a decision as to which avenue you take for the outcome. Sometimes you'll just get told, don't do that. Um, and again, that's not, not necessarily a critique on you it's not an attack on you it, it's really that we do come with a level of experience that has allowed us to make that call i guess and that's where kind of the respect or the understanding needs to go both ways you know we're sympathetic to you guys because you're still kind of learning through that process but yeah at some point you've got to be able to take direction mm. um just because we've workshopped it a bit quicker in our head and we know that that's the way that you should be going i guess mm. You guys are the yeah. pros, so yeah, definitely. But no, no, I'll be honest. I don't. <laughs> I don't pretend to pretend to be the pro either. Um, no, okay. Which is, I would have actually. Again, I don't want to get off topic, but the mentoring, right? Mm. It's a massive part of the the industry. Um, and someone like me, you know, I've been out ten plus years and registered and working and practicing. I still need a mentor, right? Mm. I I don't pretend to have all of the knowledge at all, so. I like to mentor people, but I am absolutely a mentee, um, hmm. you know, both in business and, and profession career. So yeah, find those people that can help you along that way. Mm, that's interesting. The other thing that I wanted to touch on there was, um, I think you mentioned something about the design or with the criteria, the design's not actually like locked into the criteria. It's not something that we're assessed mm. on, which I thought was interesting because in university, there's a lot of situations where students are like, oh, can't they just give us, this is what we need to design and then we'll go from there. But 
then it's like it kind of gives us freedom to start thinking for ourselves and use like a suggested brief and use that to kind of take our own yeah yeah, you you do you've got to take your own direction from the brief i i agree with you completely so part of it is that again you know if we said draw a cube at the right size so that a person can fit in it and make them some walls and a floor and a, a roof and do it this way. We would have, and I would in, in first year, have 230 outcomes that are identical. Mm. And no no one wants that, I, <laughs> I don't think. Um, it makes for a very vanilla kind of space and play place that we're, we're in. Um, so for me, it's, again, take the initial brief, get some direction and kind of we will guide you through that process. And what we are wanting is for an individual to be creative to a point where you kind of, I guess you understand your own limits or restrictions. So you know when to stop twisting the concept, changing the concept and massaging it and actually then just execute, right? That takes a lot of practice. Definitely. Yeah. I hope that answered <laughs> your kind of question there. Yeah, definitely. No, that yeah. did. Um, Cause I was struggling to get the words out of my mouth. It was sort of like, yeah, just the idea of you've got this freedom to take your own path and then as long as you're able to justify it, then it usually ends up working all right. So that comes to the conclusion of the second part of the conversation with Chris. And if you randomly stumbled across this video, you're in luck because this is only episode two out of the three-part series. So to watch the previous episode, you can use this button in the top corner here. Or to watch the next episode, you can click the bottom on the bottom button corner thing right there. You'll see it. Thanks, guys. See you there.